welcome to J. Mosley Ministries Transformational Living Podcast, Depositing for Eternity as Spiritual Millionaires. I'm Jackie Mosley, your host, and this episode is Transformational Living in the Workplace. There is a word for employees and employers in this episode. Stay with me. And let us read and learn in obedience together God's transformational ways on reflecting Christ as an employee and an employer in the workplace so we can receive God's blessings in our work and our businesses. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we come to say thank you for giving us purpose and meaning in life for the gift of work that you've given to mankind to be productive and to help others in need, to restrain evil, to restore health, to bring justice, to provide righteous solution to problems, to beautify and care for your creation. Help us, Lord God, to reflect Christ in our workplace by being diligent in our work, exhibiting good work ethics, to be a good role model to our co-workers and bosses, and to do our very best in the work we perform. We thank you for the rest that you've given us for our work to enable proper balance in our lives, and to have joyful communion with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go with me on this journey of truth. As we look to the word of God pertaining to the believer's work in the workplace and how godly business owners and bosses should treat employees, and how to properly exhibit and portray Christ before unbelievers in the workplace. The workplace is one of the greatest places for evangelism and to develop and produce the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life. We have several podcast scriptures to read, for this is a comprehensive episode with a lot of ground to cover. So your patience is greatly appreciated. So grab your Bibles to read along. And you can also write scriptures down to go back for your own personal study. So we're going to begin reading from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. And it reads, Commit your works unto the Lord and your thoughts will be established. The next scripture we'll read is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, 
but the profit of many that they may be saved. Next, we will be reading Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. And this is regarding the servant-master relationship. And it reads, bond servants, which means being subservient to, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And in modern context, earthly masters mean our employers. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. The next podcast scripture we'll read is Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The next scripture we're reading is James chapter 4, I'm sorry, James chapter 5, verse 4. And it reads, Look. The wages you withheld from the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The next scripture we're reading is Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and verse 31, which talks about victory in Christ. And it reads, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And verse 31, part B reads, if God be for us, who can be against us? And 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13 is talking about warning against idleness and laziness. And it reads, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. 
For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And the final podcast scripture I'm reading is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 and verse 12, which talks about suffering in for righteousness' sake. And it reads, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So let us move on into our podcast talking about transformational living in the workplace. God created work. We were made for work. And the book of Genesis is the foundation for the theology of work. Any discussion of work in biblical perspective eventually finds itself grounded on passages in this book. Genesis is incomparably significant for the theology of work because it tells the story of God's work of creation. The first work of all and the prototype for all work that follows. God is not dreaming an illusion, but creating a reality. The created universe that God brings into existence then provides the material of human work, space, time, matter, and energy. Within the created universe, God is present in relationship with his creatures and especially with people. Laboring in God's image means that we work in creation, on creation, and with creation. And if we work as God intends for creation. Let us remember and know that God has an arch enemy who counterfeits everything he does and destroys all that God calls good. So while God intended for his creatures to work for creation, the enemy has people who works against God's creation and God's creatures. This is why there is ruining and contamination of the earth and destruction of people in various forms all around us. 
we must recognize that God created people to work and that he commands people to work to the degree they are able. At the beginning of the Bible, God builds work into the essence of humanity. He creates people in his own image and he himself is a worker. He puts Adam in the garden for the purpose of working it. Later, in various parts of scripture, God commands all people to work to the degree they are able. Work continues through to the very end of the Bible. There is work in the garden of Eden and there is work, yes, in the new heaven and new earth that is to come in the future. Now, although we are focusing in this episode on God's command to work, work is only one element of life. God calls us to belong to Christ in every element of our lives. Our jobs, professions, occupations, and careers are not necessarily the most important aspect of our calling or service in Christ's work of redemption. First, we must remember that work is not limited to paid work. The work God leads us to may be unpaid work, such as raising children, or caring for a disabled family member, or tutoring students after school. Even if we are called to paid work, God pro probably doesn't call many of us to jobs that would prevent us from also serving others through unpaid work. Even if you have a paid job, the most important work God calls you to may be outside your job. Your job may meet your need for money, which in itself fulfills part of God's command to work. But it may not fulfill all other purposes God has for your work. We have seen that caring for children and for aged or incapacitated people is a kind of work. And many people who do it also have another paid job. On the other hand, a so-called hobby could be the most important work God is leading you to. You might work at writing, painting, music, acting, astronomy, leading a youth group, volunteering at a historical society or some other uh, organization, maintaining a nature reserve, or a thousand other kinds of work. If something like this is your calling, you will probably engage it in a more, sense, uh, in a more serious way than someone else to whom it is a leisure activity. Yet, you may still earn your living in some other way.
there is a distinction between work and leisure, but any given activity could be work, paid or unpaid, for one person and leisure for another. We must take care not to let work dominate the other elements of life. Even if God leads you to a particular job or profession, you will need to set limits to that work to make room for the other elements of God's call or guidance in your life. If God leads you to be married and to be a small business owner, for example, then you will have to balance the time and responsibilities of both callings. Work should not crowd out leisure, rest, and worship. There is no formula for balancing work and the other elements of life, but take care not to let a sense of calling to a job blind you to God's calling in other areas of life. In Genesis, we see God at work, and we learn how God intends for us to work. We both obey and disobey God in our work, and we discover that God is at work both in our obedience and disobedience. Let's explore what this means. The work of exercising dominion begins with tilling the ground. From this, we see that God's use of the word subdue and dominion in chapter 1 of Genesis do not give us permission to run roughshod over any part of his creation. We are to act as if we ourselves had the same relationship of love with his creatures that God does. Subduing the earth includes harnessing its various resources as well as protecting them. Dominion over all living creatures is not a license to abuse them, but a contract from God to care for them. We are to serve the best interests of all those lives who touches ours, our employers, our customers, our colleagues, or fellow workers, of or those who work for us or whom we meet even casually. That does not mean that we will allow people to run over us, but it does mean that we will allow ourselves, we will not allow our self-interest, our self-esteem, or our self-aggrandizement to give us a license to run over others. God provides for our needs. This is one of the ways in which those made in God's image are not God himself. God has no needs, or if he does, 
He has the power to meet them all on his own. But we don't. So let us go and read Genesis chapter 1 verses 29 and 30. And it says, God said, not we said, but God said, see, in other words, acknowledge. I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the, of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I, God said, have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Acknowledging God's provision warns us not to fall into excessive pride, self-confidence, arrogance, or conceit. No man or no one has a right to boast about what he does for a living or what he has attained in life, for it all came from God. For without God, our work is nothing. We cannot bring ourselves to life. We cannot even provide for our own maintenance. Even Job recognized that by saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord giveth, and the Lord hath taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job 1 and 21. My God today. We need God's continuing provision of air, water, earth, sunshine, and the miraculous growth of living things for food for our bodies and minds. On the other hand, acknowledging God's provision gives us confidence in our work. We do not have to depend on our own ability or on the unexpected and inexplicable change in a situation or in someone's behavior or other circumstances to meet our needs. God's power makes our work fruitful. I'll say that again. God's power makes our work fruitful. If we completely depend upon God in our work, He will establish our thoughts. That is, He will bring about or cause to happen our plans. We can expect God to bring our work to fruition in God's way and in God's time when we depend on Him in our efforts. Part of committing our work to God is seeking and following God's will. When, we, when our work aligns with God's will, 
then success will follow. Amen. Glory to God. Now let's look at this word, commit. Commit is a word in Hebrew, which literally means to roll. The idea of rolling something to the Lord is that we completely give something over to God in dependence upon Him. God does not want us to depend on our supervisor or depend on our jobs. Our dependence must be upon Him. When we commit our work to the Lord, we offer everything we do completely to Him. Then we can expect God to bless our work. When we operate according to His ways, in dependence upon Him. For example, how do we do this? Arriving to work on time. Amen. Then we can expect God to bless our work because part of arriving on time and getting to work on time is operating according to his ways. Performing your job to the best of your ability is operating according to God's ways. Showing respect to your co-workers and bosses is operating according to God's ways. Amen. Producing a good work product is operating according to God's ways. Being open to learning new tasks is operating according to God's ways because perhaps your boss may want to take you in a different area or give you a new assignment. And so that may mean you have to be open to learning new tasks. And that's okay. And that is operating according to God's ways. Not gossiping about others in the workplace. Refuse to gossip and participate in talking about others behind their backs. That is operating according to God's way. God does not want his people to be gossipers in the workplace. That is not transformational living. So refuse to gossip about others. But pray for others in your workplace. That is operating according to God's way. Praise the Lord. Not negatively complaining, but be a problem solver and be solution oriented in your workplace. That's operating according to God's ways. Having a good attitude toward everyone. I'll say that again. Having a good attitude toward everyone. Even those who do not like you without a cause or a reason known to you. That is operating according to God's ways. Amen. People didn't like Jesus. People didn't like Daniel in his workplace. 
back in Bible time, biblical times. It happened to Joseph. He was falsely accused, but yet God promoted him later on because he continued to have a consistent good attitude. And so it will happen to you, believers and followers of Christ. So I want to encourage you to have a good and positive attitude toward everyone that you will be operating according to God's ways. My God today. Thank you, Lord. However, when you operate according to God's ways, this does not mean that you will never lose a job or have trouble on your job or in your workplace. Why? Because we live in a fallen world and there are folks on your job and in your workplace that does not know the Lord. There are folks who are evil and wicked and yes, intentionally difficult and are committed to misunderstanding you. Folks who play psychological and mind games, there are folks who love to bring the worst out of you instead of bringing the best out in you. There are haters of your good work and many other descriptions. Satan the serpent is an accuser of God's people and he will accuse you of wrongdoing. He will accuse you of poor work performance and any other accusations that is against the integrity of your work. And that is why we depend completely on God for he is watching and sees everything. God knows the truth. That is why we should not put all of our weight and confidence on our skill set, on our job titles, positions, and abilities. I have seen in real life people who were employed doing the same job in the same position for years, only to be told that they did not know what they were doing, who received poor performance reviews and lost their jobs and lost their retirement, everything that they worked for all of those years that they have been doing successfully. So losing a job, and especially a job that you like, is very painful and can be devastated if you, as a believer, allow that job loss to devastate you. That is why we are to trust God under all circumstances. We must trust God, not only when we do not understand, but because we do not understand. And know that God is perfect in all his ways. And we must trust him that whatever he does and whatever he allows is also perfect. Our responsibility to God is to obey and trust 
and submit to his will, whether we understand it or not. Because we can expect God to fulfill his promise of Romans 8 and 28 that guarantees that God will turn what was meant for evil for your good. Meaning that God will right the wrong either in your current situation or he will open another door at a different workplace a better workplace and protect you from financial disaster in the meantime. Satan cannot bring financial and physical destruction upon you unless it is by God's permission. My God today, that's how awesome and powerful God is. God has power over Satan and over what Satan can and cannot do in your life. So when we commit our ways and our work to the Lord, he will bless our efforts according to his perfect will in ways beyond our understanding. We should serve the Lord faithfully and then leave the results to him. Though we still face times of difficulty, we can trust that God is working for our ultimate good. And through our efforts to please him in our daily vocation. Now let's look at the fall of sin into the workplace. Let's take a closer look at that. The serpent's plan succeeds and first Adam then Eve eats the fruit of the forbidden tree. They break the limits God had set for them in a vain attempt to become like God in some way beyond what they already had as God's image bearers, Genesis 3 and 5. Already knowing from experience the goodness of God's creation, they chose to become wise in the ways of evil, Genesis 3, 4 through 6. Adam and Eve's decisions to eat the fruit were choices to favor their own use of or doing something, their own ideas or opinions about beauty, and their own gratification of their senses that was the authority of life instead of God's word, who should, what should have been the authority of life. Good is no longer rooted in what God says enhances life, but now in what people think is desirable to elevate life. In short, they turned what is good into evil. It is important to note that when work became toil, it was not the beginning of work. Some people see 
the curse as the origin of work. But Adam and Eve had already worked in the garden. Work is not inherently a curse, but the curse affects the work. In fact, work becomes more important as a result of the fall, not less important, because now more work is required to yield the necessary results of our lives. Furthermore, the source materials from which Adam and Eve sprang in God's freedom and pleasure now become sources of subjugation, which is the act of bringing under control, submission, or subdue. Adam, made from dirt, will now struggle to till the soil until his body returns to the dirt at his death. Genesis 3 and 19. Two forms of evil confronts us daily. The first is natural evil. The physical conditions on earth that are hostile to the life God intends for us. For example, floods and droughts, earthquakes, tsunamis, excessive heat and cold, disease, vermin that cause harm that was absent from the garden. The second is moral evil, when people act with wills that are hostile to God's intentions. By acting in evil ways, we mar the creation and distance ourselves from God and we mar the relationships we have with other people. We live in a fallen, broken world and we cannot expect life to be without toil. We were made for work, but in this life, that work is stained by all that was broken that day in the Garden of Eden. This is the result of failing to respect the limits God sets for our relationships, whether personal, corporate, or social. The fall created alienation between people and God, among people and between people, and the earth that was to support them. Suspicion of one another replaced trust and love. In the generations that followed, alienation nourished jealousy, rage, even murder. All workplaces today reflect that alienation between workers to greater or lesser extent making our work even more toilsome and less productive. When God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, they bring with them their fractured relationships and toilsome work, scratching out an existence in resistant soil. Nonetheless, God continued to provide for them, even to the point of sewing clothes for them when they lacked the skill 
themselves. The curse has not destroyed their ability to multiply or to attain a measure of prosperity. Genesis chapter 4. The work of Genesis chapters 1 and 2 continues today. There is still ground to be tilled and phenomena of nature to be studied, described, and named. Men and women must still be fruitful, must still multiply, must still govern. But now a second layer of work must be accomplished. The work of healing, repairing, and restoring the things that go wrong and the evils that are committed. To put it in today's context, the work of farmers, scientists, midwives, parents, leaders, and everyone in creative enterprises is still needed today. So is the work of exterminators, doctors, lawyers, funeral directors, correction and police officers, forensic auditors, and everyone in professions that restrain evil, bring out true justice, forestall disaster, repair damage, and restore health. In truth, everyone's work is a mixture of creation and repair, encouragement and frustration, success and failure, joy and sorrow. Roughly speaking, there is twice as much work to do now than there were in the garden. Work is not less important to God's plan, but more important. As a major workplace issue for many Christians today is how to observe the principles that we believe reflect God's will and purposes for us as his image bearers or representatives. How can we do this in the cases where our work puts us under pressure toward dishonesty, disloyalty, low quality workmanship, unlivable wages and working conditions, exploitation of vulnerable co-workers, customers, suppliers, or the community at large. There are many examples of scripture that there is room in the world for all people to work according to God's design and mandate. When others fall into fear, uncertainty and doubt or succumb to unbounded desire for power, wealth, or human recognition, God's people can remain steadfast in ethical, purposeful, compassionate work. Why? Because we trust God to bring us through the hardships that may prove too much to master without God's grace. Glory to God. When people are abused or harmed by greed, injustice, hatred, or neglect, 
we can stand up for them, work justice, and heal hurts and divisions because we have access to Christ's redeeming power. Christians of all people can afford to push back against the sin we meet at our places of work, whether it arises from others' actions or from within our own hearts. God quashed the project at the Tower of Babel because nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Read Genesis chapter 11. For people did not refer to our actual abilities, but to our excessive pride and self-confidence. Yet by God's grace, we actually do have the power to accomplish all God has in store for us in Christ Jesus, who declares that nothing will be impossible for you, Matthew 17 and 20, and nothing will be impossible with God, Luke 1 and 37. I want to read and leave for you what work is not. Work is not contributing to the downfall, harm, and destruction of the earth and the souls of mankind in any capacity. Is not considered work in the eyes of God. Even if you are paid under the table, if you receive a paycheck, for these ungodly wages in those occupations. This is considered disobedience to God's command to work for the good of his creation and for good will for his creatures. Remember God's adversary opposes, desecrates, distorts, and perverts everything God created and called good. Now, I want to take a moment and leave a word for employers today. God expects you to deal with employees fairly, justly, honestly, and not to treat them harshly. Employers should never place profits ahead of people because of the destructive nature of that type of relationship. Placing more emphasis and importance on monetary profit instead of people causes a tremendous strain on the employees with unbearable and sometimes unrealistic performance expectations. Employers need to understand that their businesses, corporations, organizations, and companies are not built and grown on profit alone. Your business is not built and grown on products and services alone. Your business is, is not built on growth and growth on intelligence, creativity, and ideas alone. For it is God who raiseth up and bringeth down. God's power supersedes human power and ability. Even in business, where people mistakenly think 
that God doesn't act or intervene. But God has much to say about how to treat your employees. For whom much is given, much is required. Colossians 4 and 1 says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Leviticus 25 and 43 says, You are not to rule over them harshly, but you shall fear your God. And Ephesians 6 and 9 says, And masters, do the same for your bondservants. Give up your use of threats, because you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. James 5 and 4 says, Employers, pay your employees the wages they earn. Pay your vendors and contractors for their professional services rendered to your company. Or God will visit your earnings and profits and turn them to losses. For the scripture says, look, the wages you withheld from the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Again, this is all in James chapter 5 verse 4. Employers, please know that it is God who alters the times and seasons. It is God who brings down leaders and raises up leaders. Daniel chapter 2 and 21. We see here that God is in control of employers. And it has been seen for years how many corporations and businesses fall for acts of impropriety in many ways from corporate and business leaders and owners at the top. Sometimes God will even limit businesses and corporations from rising to a certain level of productivity or profitability because of how they treat and deal with their employees and with their customers. Employers, you have a duty and responsibility according to the word of God and the law to treat all employees and customers with fairness, justice, and equality. Amen. So in conclusion, I want to leave this with you. The Apostle Paul faced more difficulties than we could ever imagine. He said we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. Paul committed his works to the Lord. So commit your works unto the Lord by trusting him for the results. It is vain and distressing 
when you think the results depend on you, but the results depend on him. And he suggests that you take a trust nap. Take a trust nap today. Read Psalms 127, 1, 1 and 2. And once you've made reasonable plans, turn the rest over to God's gracious and sovereign will. Such trust will fix and establish your heart without fear, regardless of your situation. Whatever troubles you today, whatever you are facing that is distressing your mind, commit your works unto the Lord and he will establish your thoughts. Do your works his way. Do them his way unto him. Turn your works over to him in prayer and trust him for the results. He will take care of you by blessing you with contentment, peace, and assurance. God will fight your workplace battles. For Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. We have to persevere until Christ returns to put things right. The New Testament confirms the value of perseverance, ladies and gentlemen. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James 1 and 2. Perseverance in the life of a believer has as its basis and source in the Lord God, not a matter of integrity or honor, but the Christian endurance rests on the veracity of God's eternal covenant promises. Commit your work unto the Lord. When others take credit for the work you have done, commit your work to the Lord. When others lie on you and falsely accuse you of bad work performance, commit your work to the Lord. When others try to bring you to confusion, to sabotage your work, commit your work to the Lord. When others throw you under the bus to lift themselves up to bring you down, commit your work to the Lord. When no one notices or say anything good about the work you are doing, commit your work to the Lord. When others destructively criticize you to downtrodden you and to attempt to destroy everything good about your work. Commit your work to the Lord, for God knows the good work you are doing. God knows the quality of your work. God knows the integrity of your work. God knows the ethics of your work and the contribution your work is making to your company even if no one ever recognizes or acknowledges your work. God, who sees everything, everything will reward you 
with an inheritance that no man could ever take away from you. Your committed work to the Lord that is done in obscurity behind the scenes, God will bring to the light, to the forefront, in his own time and in his own way, that he will receive the glory for all the work that you have done. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5 and 16. Your good works on your job should cause others to glorify God. Praise the Lord. This concludes Depositing for Eternity as Spiritual Millionaires. Transformational Living in the Workplace. I invite you to subscribe to J. Mosley Ministries podcasts that are designed to encourage, edify, and to instruct in righteousness. May God bless you today. And may God keep you is my prayer for you. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Stay tuned for the next episode, Value of a Deposit, Part 3. Go in peace knowing that the Lord is with you.